Right now, I want to introduce our guest speaker this morning, Nathan Carter. Nathan, Pastor Nathan Carter is pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church over on Roosevelt. He, we've we known him for a long time. He's also our IBSA uh, zone consultant. Uh, just a really wonderful pastor. He, he puts together a prayer group for all our pastors uh, during the week. And so uh, just very thankful that he can come out and bring the message this morning. So let's welcome up Pastor Nathan Carter. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, starting in the middle of verse 18 and going to verse 30. Uh, let me read that for you. I encourage you to have a Bible open on your lap and uh, follow along with me. The word of the Lord. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on, a, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I want to bring greetings from the Illinois Baptist State Association, uh, where we were already uh, praying for you, as a, as a key, historic, uh, strategic church here in the city, um, going through a pastoral transition, right? And then add on top of that this new lingering uh, COVID crisis on top of everything else, um, crazy times. But I get to pray every, every Wednesday together with uh, Pastor Mark, and, and uh, I can tell that he loves you guys and uh, cares deeply for everyone, cares for the church, and he's doing uh, I know a great job of providing uh, leadership in these unusual times. And I was thrilled uh, when he asked me if I'd be willing to come and record a message uh, for you guys. Um, I was very happy to do that. And what a perfect book to be going through right now, right? The book of Philippians. Perfect book, excellent choice. Um, for these times, as, as you probably already started to see and, and probably uh, been, been told and it's been pointed out to you, the book of Philippians is a book about joy. It's, it's, a, it's a book about rejoicing. Earlier in chapter one, Paul says that he prays with joy, verse four, 
verse 18, the first part of verse 18, he says that he rejoices that Christ is being preached. So right there you have joy, rejoicing, and those two words, really from the, the same word, it just is, is shot throughout this tiny little book. All over, this is a book about joy. And we see that our passage today that begins in the middle of verse 18 begins again with that same theme. Paul says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. If you've read through the book of Philippians before, you, you, you probably remember uh, the, uh, the famous verse, uh, chapter four, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice, right? This is the epistle of joy. But what's more, what's very interesting it's not just sort of saccharine kind of fluffy joy. This is about joy despite circumstances. Because remember, it's the epistle of joy and it's a prison epistle, right? Paul's writing Philippians from quarantine, you could say, in a sense, right? He's under house arrest in Rome and yet, in those circumstances, he's full of joy. He's rejoicing. So this book is, wow, perfect for our time right now. Extremely practical for where we're at. All of us staying at home. Sometimes, let's be honest, struggling for joy. Tempted to some of the things that Philippians is going to address. Tempted to disunity. Tempted to grumble and complain. Lots of reasons to be anxious. But God's word tells us that we can have real joy in spite of our circumstances if we know the Lord. How? How can we do that? Three things. First of all, because we know that death cannot ultimately hurt us. Secondly, because life has an ultimate purpose. And thirdly, because we have other people in it together with us. Death cannot hurt us. Life has purpose. We have other people in it together with us. Life, death, and life together. Those are the three points, the outline of this talk, and those are, that's the title of, of my, um, my talk with you today. Let's pause right now. Let's pray before we go through the rest of the text that God would help us wherever we're at as we're listening, uh, that the Holy Spirit would um, cause these words to leap off the page or the screen or whatever you're looking at it on and into our hearts and fill us with that joy. Will you pray with me? <sighs> Almighty Father, gracious, good Father, omnipresent God with us, wherever we're at right now, we thank you that we have this letter passed down to us that's inspired by you, that, um, that gives us perspective for times like this. And I just pray for the, re the remainder of our time together as we're looking into your word that you would give us attention, focus, that we wouldn't uh, be distracted to be doing other things, that we would have our, our gaze riveted on these words, but even more that we would see behind the words and we would have our gaze riveted on Christ Lift our, lift our gaze up to eternal realities right now. Help us to see him and to find uh, peace, comfort, purpose. That you would unite us together even though we're scattered apart, that you would unite us together around Christ right now. And it's all in his name that I ask that, trusting that you hear and you will act 
for the glory of your son. Amen. So I think, I think one of the reasons why this whole thing that we're going through is so scary and so hard for so many people is that this coronavirus is so deadly. We don't know exactly you know, the rates, but we know it's way more deadly than the common flu. It's unknown. And the reality is we're all dying. That's never really, this hasn't really changed that. But we, we like to keep the illusion uh, going that death is something that maybe will never happen to us or it's just so far out there in the future that we don't have to think about it. Um, but then we get headlines assaulting us right now, like the one we got this week that says deadliest day um, in Illinois um, or um, over 4,000 people I heard on the, on the radio as I was driving here this morning have died in Illinois so far from this invisible threat. And that makes people understandably nervous, understandably nervous. Even my uh, three-year-old gets this. I have five daughters, uh, 13 to three. And so those of you who have multiple children, you know that some of the, th- the things that your, your youngest gets exposed to and conversations that they're in, movies that they get, they're watching or were like completely not something that the oldest was doing at that age, right? So we're having a family conversation recently about where's Grandma Gigi? who died, and uh, my youngest was listening in, and, and, and she just asserted boldly with, with a little quiver in her cute little lips, I'm not going to die. What do you do, right? Parenting, you know, you got to be honest, right? So I tried to talk to her and say, well, actually, honey, you are going to die, but, but Jesus died, and he rose again from the dead, and if you trust in Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of death, and she's three, and it's all sort of processing, and she gets very emotional and starts crying and says, I don't want to die, right? You can picture it. Um, But that's the reality. We have to think about it. We have to talk about it. Um, But it shows us that we all know that death is bad, right? It's not something that, uh, that we want. It's not the way things were supposed to be. And that's why it's so hard for us. Nobody's trying to get COVID-19, right? And the Apostle Paul, he wasn't trying to get arrested. He certainly didn't want to be killed. That's, that's, so don't misunderstand any of this. That's weird. That's masochism. That's not what we're talking about. From verse 19, you can see that Paul was hopeful that things would turn out for his deliverance. He's, you know, like somebody who, who gets cancer and uh, asks people to pray for their healing. That's normal. That's right. Takes chemo in anticipation of getting better. That's what we do. But avoiding death was not the highest priority for the Apostle Paul. He wasn't afraid to die. And that's what's different here. In fact, he looked forward to what lay ahead beyond death when it was God's time for him to die. And that's one of the greatest benefits of being a Christian, isn't it? We have to remember, because we can get sucked in to the, to the fear Christianity tells us we do not have to be afraid of death. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus came to free those who all their lives have been held captive in a slavery by their fear of death. And Paul's life and Paul's death illustrates this beautifully. Let's just think about Paul's life, right? How does he end up here in Rome, in jail? He went to Jerusalem 
uh, bearing a gift from the Gentile churches to the beleaguered believers in the, the, at the mother church. And uh, he, he presses on, he goes there to do this expression of the gospel. Um, even though legit prophets <laughs> were, were telling him, it, this, you're gonna get captured. This is not gonna go well. But then in chapter 20 of, of Acts, we see Paul uh, saying, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He wasn't afraid of death. And sure enough, you know the story, when he arrives in Jerusalem, he gets framed, uh, he, he's, he gets seized, he gets nearly beaten to death, that happens to him on many occasions. He's uh, left in a holding cell for, 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 to rot basically for long periods of time, uh, kind of yanked around by different people. Then he eventually he's chained and he's uh, shipped off to Rome. Um, along the way to Rome, he suffers a shipwreck, <laughs> almost dies on this crazy sea voyage. And then when uh, he, they, they arrive at an island, what happens? He gets bitten by a snake, <laughs> a poisonous snake bites him. All these things come, through, uh, come into his life and eventually that's when he in, he, how he gets to, uh, to, to, to where he is here in jail in Rome writing to the Philippians about joy and saying this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way uh, be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. Did you catch that? Paul understood that even if he died, even if his body was killed, Christ could be magnified through that. His death wouldn't be a tragedy. It wouldn't be a waste. Now, we know that Paul was actually released. He was released from jail this time. And he went on to do more fruitful ministry. But we also know that he was imprisoned again. And uh, tradition has it, we don't know for sure, but tradition has it that he was beheaded under the Emperor Nero. But we read in in, uh, 2 Timothy, just before his death, he writes this. He says, the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. I love the Apostle Paul's life, right? What what amazing faith. I've heard it said, uh, this isn't my phrase, but I think this is a great way to put it, that you are immortal until it's your time to die. Think about that. I mean, that Paul's, Paul's life illustrates that, right? You are invincible right up until the God-ordained moment of your death. Doesn't that give you joy if you think about that? Doesn't that take away so much of the fear and, and just fill you with a, a boldness and a joy? You're immortal until God decides it's your time to go. And then when it's your appointed time and your race is over, you can have courage and still exalt Christ in your dying by dying with faith that there's more, that this isn't the end. So here we are right now, we're being asked to stay home to save lives. 
And so generally that's what, what we should be doing. But I can conceive, I mean you can too, that there may come a time when that order is lifted, but the virus is, is still out there without a, a guaranteed foolproof way to stay safe. By the way, there never was a 100% safe way to do anything, right? But, but here we are, the, the virus is still out there and we're, the, the order's lifted and there's not certainty. What, are we, what, 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 what do believers do? Are we then supposed to just be reckless and start crowding into bars? No. But I hope that we will have uh, opportunity to risk our lives serving others, kind of like the medical workers are already doing um, nowadays. But everybody have a chance to do that and sharing the gospel along the way like Christians have done for ages past. You, you know this isn't the first pandemic, right? Right? In the third century, there was a, a pandemic that, that struck and, and masses of people were just left to die in the streets. And there's a, a bishop of Alexandria, Bishop Dionysius, who wrote about that time, about how Christians responded, and he said this. He said, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves, heedless of the danger they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. They didn't live in fear of death. They weren't cowering, paralyzed. They took risks for the gospel, and many of them died. But in this display of of sacrificial love, that can only really, uh, in a sustained way, come from someone who has experienced it in the cross, right? But through this, this action of the Christians, this was one of the reasons why the church was growing and, and, and exploding in growth even though many of them were dying. Think about that. Because the world was looking in with intrigue. The, a world that's so deathly afraid of death and the unknown to see people who know what's beyond death and to face it with, with, um, with faith was uh, quite appealing. And did you hear how Dionysus described their death? He said they died serenely happy. That sounds very similar to what Paul says in verse 21. Paul says, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The Christian is in the supreme win-win scenario, right? This is, this is win-win if there ever was one, right? Paul knew that even death could not ultimately hurt him. He knew that if he was martyred or if he died of pneumonia, it was going to be a gain for him. It was gonna be a net positive for him. How can he say that? The answer is found in verse 23. Look down to verse 23. To die, for those who are believers, is to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far than anything else. You see, disease, death, that's a result of sin. It's an awful thing. It's an intruder into God's good world. 
It's not the way things were supposed to be. But God, in his grace and his mercy, and in the person of his son, taking on flesh in Jesus Christ, God has come, in, come into this fallen world, and he's borne our diseases, and he's taken upon himself our sins. That's what the sign right above this, this beautiful building says, right? Remember that? He dies, and then he comes back to life, and he, he promised the repentant thief on the cross next to him that he would be with him in paradise that very day. And that same promise is true for all who die in Christ today. The moment of your death, you'll be with him in paradise. But more than that, Jesus promised that he will come back again someday to, as we're gonna see later in Philippians, transform our lowly bodies uh, so that we'll be like his glorious resurrected body. That's our ultimate hope. And so Paul had put his faith in Christ, in Jesus, who had died and rose again. And so he knew that death wasn't a punishment for him, All the punishment was gone, taken on the cross. Death wasn't a punishment, it was a gateway to paradise. He was convinced that if his body died, his soul would be kept safe in some kind of intermediate state with a conscious awareness and enjoyment of the Lord until that day when Christ would come back and reunite his soul and his body together to live forever with the Lord in an unimaginably glorious place, a new creation. Death wasn't the end. Death was the end of struggling, yes. Death was the end of sinning, yes. Death was the end of suffering, yes. But it wasn't the end of him. It ushered him into rest. It brought him home with the Lord. So death was gain, not loss. And let's just just be honest. I'm talking to you right now. Do you have that confidence? Do you have that confidence? Do you long for heaven such that earth has nothing you desire in comparison that'll bring you joy do you know jesus as your savior your treasure do you understand that death cannot ultimately hurt you in fact it's ultimately good for you john owen the great english puritan who wrote of about communion with god in such vivid powerful ways even when he was alive. He spoke of, of this when he died in, in, in 1683 with a fever and difficulty breathing. But he was able to mouth these last words. He said, the long wished for day is come at last in which I shall see the glory in another manner than I have ever done or was capable of doing in this world. That's what Paul's saying here. Can you also say that, that to die is gain? Are you ready to die? Whatever you might lose in death is infinitely made up for in what you gain by being with Christ in a more immediate way. Can you say that? You have to get that figured out right now. And that's the first point. And that's the most important point. Are you ready to die? And if you are, (laughs) you have a great... uh, foundation for joy no matter what comes to you so first off first point we can have joy despite our circumstances once we know that death cannot ultimately hurt us then secondly we can have joy even in hard times if our life here has ultimate purpose so for many people in our culture right now um, life is losing purpose 
there's a lot of hopelessness, deep sadness and depression uh, spreading along with the virus. Because for them, what was life about? Life was about sports, or life was about travel, or eating out, uh, or, or money. And all those things are, are either absent or crumbling um, around us right now. We want this lockdown to end so things can go back to normal, so that we can go on with life. But here's the question, what, what is life for you? What's your, what's, what's your life? Paul says that for him to live is Christ. Verse 21, to live is Christ. What does that mean? Maybe some of you remember Major League Baseball's um, ad campaign that they had several years ago where their slogan was, I live for this. Remember that? Anybody? Raise your hand. All right, this is weird, right? I live for this, right? Others, um, well, there's no baseball right now, right? So if that's what you live for, it's hard to have joy. Other people will say things like, um, I live for my kids, or um, this blank is, is the good life. Uh, many people are living for, for their careers. But here now we have 36 million Americans unemployed. What do we do? That reminds us, it shows us poignantly that if anything other than Jesus is your life, you'll be severely disappointed. Because life, true life, um, eternal life, life to the fullest, the life that's truly life is only found in knowing Christ. And so Paul says to live is Christ. And isn't it amazing to know that when you're in Christ by faith, nothing can separate you from his love and he's with you always, even to the very end of the age. You can't lose it. Even if everything else falls away, you can't lose Christ. And so you can have everything else taken away from you, but if you still have Christ, you have everything and you can have joy. You have every spiritual blessing. You have infinitely more than Jeff Bezos has apart from Christ. You believe that? Would you say that your life is summed up in Christ? That he's your everything? During this, this season of uh, suspended rhythms, have you, have you had uh, sweet times of savoring Jesus? Of just uh, knowing his presence, reading scripture and seeing him in new ways and just being filled with a joy that comes from him? Are you fixated and obsessed with Jesus and eager to do anything and find whatever ways you can to help you get better views of his glory? Does that characterize your life right now? But more than just you, know, you personally enjoying Jesus, having Christ be your life means living with a mission to magnify Jesus. And so Paul says in verse 22, he says, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, if I'm not gonna go die and be with Christ in heaven yet, I wanna spend my life left on earth in service of Christ. That's, that's the high life, right? And that takes the form of living in service of other people. Paul would prefer to die and be more fully with Jesus, but if he was going to live 
longer on earth. He wanted to use his life here to make much of Christ by helping others find their life in him. He says in verse uh, 24, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And then verse 25, convinced of this, I, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy, there's that word again, in the faith. He wants others to increasingly find their joy in Christ too. In verse 26, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So Paul wanted to get out of lockdown so he could do ministry. <laughs> what are you most looking forward to if when this uh, lockdown ends? And it doesn't have to wait, right? It doesn't have to wait. How are you spending your time right now? Binge watching Netflix? Here's Paul, he's in prison, what's he doing? He's praying for people, he's writing encouraging letters. We too can get creative uh, with ways to be sharing the greatness of Christ even while we're sheltering in place. Things like handing out masks, like hap happening in, in the neighborhood right now um, through this church. Or checking in on the elderly or taking a socially distant walk with a, uh, another member of the church that you haven't seen for a while. So you can have joy, brothers and sisters. Even when the economy is collapsing, even when all the, the festivals are canceled, when you're isolated from your family, you can have joy if you're aware that you're in the greatest win-win situation ever. Live another day? It means life with a purpose, to know Christ, to make him known. You have a real reason to wake up in the morning. I get to explore more of who Jesus is today. I get to help others find their treasure in him. And if I die, I get to go be with him in an even more profound way. Win, win, right? As the, the chorus that we're gonna sing in just a little bit goes. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. There's one more element here. One more reason for joy that we find in this passage, right? If I die, I go to be with Jesus. If I live, I live to make much of Jesus. Those are glorious truths. But by themselves, they present an incomplete picture. A too, too one-dimensional, too individualistic picture. One of the greatest joys of the Christian life is that it's a life together. It's a community affair. It's not just about me and Jesus, it's we and Jesus. And we've seen hints of this already. Uh, Paul's uh, right at the beginning of this passage, he's soliciting other people's prayers for his situation. He's not just praying privately and personally, he wants other people to join him in prayer. Um, we see that he wants to remain in the body so he can be with the Philippians and aid their collective joy. But this point comes out even more clearly in the last section here, verses 27 to 30. So look down at those. These verses begin to, to move us into the theme that's gonna be explored more in chapter two, and that theme is church unity. There you're gonna see Paul asking them to make his joy complete. Think about that. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, being on the same page, being kind of all marching to the same, same drummer. 
the fellowship of believers is one of those things that has great potential for bringing joy. And I'll just be honest with you as a pastor, I pastor a church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, uh, and I'll tell you that one of the things that, that's hardest in this, that concerns me most, especially at this time, is that the church will just sort of drift apart during this season of isolation. And, and that concerned Paul, too. He says in verse 27, whatever happens, whether I live and come to you or, or whether I don't or whether I die and be with the Lord, whatever happens, I want to know that you're conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now the Greek, uh, the Greek here has a connotation that gets lost in translation. You just gotta understand some historical background. Philippi was a, uh, a, dis- a distinctly Roman city, so uh, Roman sort of patriotism was very prevalent there, and Paul plays on that in this book. You're gonna see it later in chapter three, verse 20, where he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, right? Here, the word that he uses is something like act like good citizens. You know, conduct yourself in a manner worthy is act like good citizens that represent where you really belong, which is the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of this idea like the, um, the American Olympic athlete, remember the Olympics, right? Um, who wears the, the USA logo everywhere uh, in a foreign country and, and to, to conduct themselves in a way that, that um, doesn't bring reproach on their country of origin but uh, represents them well. So here Paul's saying something like that. He wants believers to behave in a way worthy of the gospel, whether he gets to come to them or only hears about what, how they're doing in his absence. But what is it that he wants to hear? Stick with me here. What does it mean for Christians to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? And I think that we immediately, our mind goes to, and we think in, of this in terms of personal morality or personal devotional life, right? As if Paul was, was saying something like, uh, Warden, I, I, I want to I hear that you've, been, that you've not been drinking. Or Lydia, I, 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 you better be reading your Bible every morning. Or uh, Euodia, I hope that you're saying your prayers every night. Or Syntyche, I, I, I hope you've stopped swearing. And those are, all, those are all good things. Those are part of the Christian life. But that's not what Paul primarily has in mind here, is it? Look at it. Look at the text. What's, what is he thinking it means to uh, bear the name of Christ well? What is it that he wants for the believers in the church in Philippi? What's the crucial thing that if Christians don't do, then they won't be showing the powerful effects of the gospel? It's this. He wants to know that they stand firm in the one spirit. He wants to know that they're remaining unified together, not fighting, not fracturing, or not just sort of falling apart into their own personal pursuits, even if each individual is still trying to to live for Jesus on their own. Why? Because you can't live for Jesus on your own. It doesn't work that way. When Jesus calls you to come and follow him, think about it, he comes, he says, Come follow me. And if you're gonna come follow Jesus, you're gonna get right up close to Jesus and try to stay on his heels, there's gonna be other people all around you 
right? You're gonna find that, that there's other people there and, and you may trip over them at times, but you can't tell them to get away and you can't get away from them if you really wanna be close to Jesus. And so Jesus wants us to learn to walk together behind him in, in lockstep. You simply, you, you just simply cannot be a Christian apart from the community called the church. And if you try to have joy in Jesus, in, in life and in death, on your own, in isolation, it is, it, it just, it doesn't work. You can't have joy in Jesus apart from the messy life of fellowship in the local church. And Paul's clear on this. And it's my heart for my church right now. And um, I'm sure it's Pastor Mark's and the elders' heart for, for you guys, for Uptown Baptist Church. Because we can't see you right now. Um, but we desperately want to know that you're sticking together. That you're not just kind of slinking into and getting used to being hermits, that you're not just thinking only for yourself and your safety and what's this mean for you and thinking about, you know, jetting out because why, why stay in the city? We want to know that your hearts are knit together with the other members of this church and that you're radically committed to each other and that you're standing as one, with one heart, with one goal, one shared purpose. We ache, I, I feel it in Paul, I feel it in myself, we ache to see that the church doesn't just fall apart as this stay-at-home order carries on. And, and so when someday, who knows when that'll be, when we can meet again, it's just a tattered sort of fragment that's left and everybody kinda, so many people just kinda went their own way and did their own thing and people just, drifted from the Lord and from each other. So I, I'm gonna say this for you guys. Um, maybe I, I, a guest speaker can say it more bluntly, right? But keep up your relationships. Keep your commitments. Keep the church in your heart at all times. Even though it's really hard right now, even though it's easier to just kinda be a recluse in your own cave, Keep the other members of the church at the top of your mind, not out of sight, out of mind. Pray for them. Uh, talk to them. You, we still have phones, praise God. Zoom, praise God. Participate in every single thing that you can possibly participate in that the church is doing, even if you have Zoom fatigue. Just to show your face, to be there, to, to be kind of keeping, to be part of this thing. Don't let yourself kind of fall off. And... Stay on mission. Don't just, don't, don't hear me saying that we just gotta huddle together and, and sort of stay focused internally. If we do that, that, that won't be able to sustain and it won't work and it will become insular and messy or ugly if we just focus on each other. I, I've, I've said this many times that Christian community is more of a, of a side hug than a, than a front hug. A Christian community is, is more of like joining up in, a, in, in kind of side by side and, and moving out together on a mission. Look at the, the next clarifying phrase here. Paul says, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. 
kind of side by side, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. The way to stay unified is to have a common cause, a common adventure that we lock arms and move out together to accomplish. And ultimately, what is that? It's ultimately to seeing Jesus at the finish line of life and being together with him in the new world. But in this life, it's living to know him and make him known. And that is a group project. It's not an individual, isolated individuals kind of doing their own thing. We do it together. God's given churches a, a collective mission to spread the gospel, especially in your location. Uh, so you guys have an exciting um, assignment to do that right here in Uptown. My church is called together uh, to, to be on mission together down in the UIC area. Um, but a church shouldn't just be this aggregation of individuals each kind of doing their own thing, but it should be a body with like one heartbeat coming together like the Power Rangers or the Transformers or um, you know those images, right? Coming together as, as one unit to move in conjunction, singing in unison, accomplishing a purpose together. Uh, that's why team sports bring so much joy, right? Uh, let me just kind of go through this, the rest of this quickly. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, there's gonna be opposition. There will be dangers, inevitably viruses, gangs, sophisticated city dwellers that don't like the real Jesus. But together we can keep going. On our own, we're toast. In fact, being part of a people that are opposed and have pressure and opposition is ironically an encouragement. It shows you that you're, you're headed the right direction. Paul reminds them that those who oppose the cause of Christ will be destroyed one day. They will be saved. And, and to suffer together means that, that you're truly united to Jesus, the suffering Savior. You've taken up your cross and followed him. Uh, his sufferings flow over into our lives. Paul says, for it's been granted to you not on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Isn't there something comforting when you're going through a hard time to know that you're not alone? That's the sentiment between, behind the, the hashtag, right? We're uh, in this together. You see that everywhere. That should be even more so true for the church, right? We're in this together. We bear each other's burdens. We got each other's backs. We have all things in common. We're spurring one another on. We're sticking it out together for a grander, more glorious cause than anything else. So brothers and sisters at Uptown, I pray that this passage, thanks for the opportunity to, to bring it and unpack it with you, but I pray that it's been convicting, uh, but also encouraging for you during this strange time that we're in. I pray that you will experience more joy. I pray that you will experience the joy that comes from knowing, number one, death cannot ultimately hurt us. Number two, life has an ultimate purpose. And number three, we have other people in it together with us. That's my prayer. I pray that for each and every one of you who's listening, that you could say personally, for me, to live is Christ, to die is game, and that you would live for Christ together, that, that I would hear reports as I talk to Pastor Mark and, 
in weeks and months to come that I'd hear reports in the future that the people of Uptown are standing firm in one spirit, that they're striving together as one for the faith of the gospel in this neighborhood. I pray that if any of you die of COVID-19, you would do so with a firm and a loud testimony of the hope of the gospel. That others in the hospital would would see it. Um, I pray that those of you who don't die and remain to live here on earth for a little longer are living all out for Christ. And I pray that this church stays united in these truths with love for each other and reaching out to the lost. Thank you. Brother Nathan, thank you so much for your message in the book of Philippians. Really appreciate you, appreciate your friendship. Um, And now I just want to close us with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that even in this season, we are still on mission for you. Even in the season where we can't physically gather together as a church, Lord, we are still on mission. So I want to pray, Lord, that we would continue to look and think and reach out to those around us, Lord, that are are desperately seeking for answers. So, Lord, just put it on our hearts uh, to be prayerful and, uh, Lord, to make the calls that you want us to call. might be friends that we've not talked to in a long time. But, Lord, help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and continue to reach out to people in, in, in this time. And, Lord, we also pray as well, Lord, that you would allow us to gather again soon physically. So, Lord, we pray for our, our governing authorities. We think about our governor. We think about our mayor. We pray for them. Uh, Lord, we just pray that um, there will be a way very soon where our church might be able to gather again um, in, in, in a new and different way, but that we'd be able to physically gather again very soon. In the meantime, Lord, help us to be on mission for you wherever we are. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>